All right, so, <clears throat> excuse me, can I have the slideshow up there, please? Um, last week, Susan shared on how, as new creation people, God wants us to interact and relate to each other in a particular way. And she challenged us very powerfully. Even she had a go at us men, a little short jab there like that a few times, you know. But, but really in a good, healthy way. Because the new creation, man and woman, are supposed to be very different from the world. Because we no longer are constrained or conformed to the pattern of humanistic thinking, which if you do this, then I'm going to do that. There's a spirit of grace upon us. There's the spirit of Christ within us. There's this truth, and it's from this truth that God wants us to live. And so I want to continue with Colossians this morning, and um, we're going to be launching into power struggles. Power struggles that happen in relationships. Now, I want to start off and say the following. Do powerful people always have to use power in their relationships to get people to do what they need? And the answer is no. Does God, did God use power, his power, to, in other words, get Jesus to do what he needed Jesus to do on earth? No. And yet God is the most powerful person. Jesus, when he walked and he interacted with his disciples and people, he was the most powerful person, I believe, on the planet, ever. Did he ever have to use power to get somebody to do something that he needed them to do? No. So why then do we think we should use power to get people to do what we need them to do when we have been made now in the image of Christ? We now have a new creation man. So God wants us to be liberated from the old way of thinking and start to engage with each other in a new way. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 to 22 first. <clears throat> and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in your relationships, do it in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. Because you're a new creation now. You can do it. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Oh, seriously, Greg, are we going to dive into that this morning? Why, why was Paul writing this? Was he writing it because he'd heard <clears throat> that these Christians were starting to behave like that? Or was he writing it just to make sure that living in this, in this worldly context of Coloss, that's how everybody else behaved. Let me remind you that we don't behave like them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents. Did I put that one up yet? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of our service as people pleases, like only when they're watching, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, 
Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Why that last line? Because some slave masters were horrendously evil towards their slaves. And he's saying, don't worry about it. God will repay them. So is Paul saying here that there's a hierarchy in relationship that you've got to remember? Is the scriptures about slaves and bond slaves saying, you see, the Bible says it's okay to have servants? No, he's writing into a context where, they, where slaves and masters were common. It was common practice. It was legal. It was lawful. And into that practice, he's got to write to the church and say, hey, let me, into this context, tell you how we as new creation people live. In the context of children and parents, this is how we live. In the context of marriage, this is how we live. Now, the way the world thinks is this. If you're a master and you have a slave, you are more powerful than them. You are of higher value than them. That's the way the world thinks. Parents, you can think that you are of higher value than your children and that you are more powerful than your children because you know more than them. What do they know? <laughs> Let me teach you. I, I, I've got experience. Let me show you. And, there can be, and then husbands and wives. I'm a male. Of course, in this time and day, it was a very patriarchal society. Male were more dominant than female. Females had less rights. I mean, gosh, up until only recently, women couldn't even vote. So, so all of these things are taking place, and Paul's writing to them to say, we do not behave like the world. We have a new creation, and God wants us to see one another and ourselves very differently. So I want to talk about these hierarchical structures that have been constructed by us, by mankind, by society, and in how we interact with each other, and we're going to unpack it a bit. Obviously, this morning, I'm not here to dive into the theology of, of husbands and wives. Well, there's no time for that in a, in a message like this this morning, but I want to give you the heart of what Paul is writing. So, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Power dynamics are common. But power struggles don't have to be the norm in our relationships. Okay. People always want to see where, where we are. Like, what happens? Do you listen to me or not? You're just finding out. It's called a power dynamic. But a power struggle becomes absolutely detrimental to the health of any relationship. Humility are not humility is humility is power under control it restrains the use of power except for redemptive purposes or to promote love i like that jesus was the most powerful person who walked the planet but he only uses power to overcome satan for redemptive purposes or to promote love and in a power struggle, don't use power to get somebody to do what you want them to do because it's not the way of Jesus. The heart of God is never for controlling someone. Never. 
ever. God, the most powerful person, doesn't control me. I wish he did. I'd please him more. (laughs) But he loves and loves love never controls. Love always sets free. It honors you and values your choice. And so in our relationships with each other, we've got to go back to discovering that and not allow power struggles to become our common day experience. You see, one is never superior to another in the eyes of God. But God wants love and mutual submission. Yep, let's have a look at another scripture. Ephesians 5, verse 20 to 21. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there should also be a submitting to one another. In other words, Greg, are you also submitting to Susan? I know, but there's another scripture that says, Susan must only submit to me. I know, but there's that scripture that says you also mutually submit to one another. What is, what is God's way? Is there a hierarchy in God's way? So Paul is writing this letter specifically, highlighting problems that people encounter in society and reminding them that we live differently. Now, like I said, I can't teach on the theology and the dynamics. It's, it's too long. And in fact, it is an ever ongoing discovery. The theologians continue to wrestle and struggle with each other in the hermeneutics and exegesis of the scriptures in trying to work out, is a woman in marriage complementarian? Does she complement the man? Or is the woman in marriage, is it egalitarian? Are they equal? And the theologians keep trying to argue and explain this word, what it really meant, and this and that, and and it's it's ongoing. So I'm not going to solve that problem this morning, but I'm going to give you the heart of God that I believe, and I'm convinced of it. I may be wrong, but I'm convinced of it. In this marriage here, so I asked, my, I asked two of my kids, because the one's away, yesterday I asked Jaden and Eden, I said, in our home, am I the head of the home? And they said, yes. So then I said, in our home, is mom a powerful person? And they said, absolutely. <laughs> I said, absolutely, she is. So, so how does this dynamic work? Now, Susan will defer to me. If there's a crisis or if there's something to do with finances or something, she goes, you got this. But, but she is incredibly powerful as my equal in the marriage. But she defers to me. If I make her defer to me, there's a problem. If she defers to me out of her heart, great. If there's certain areas I defer to her. But the other dynamics are involved here. So what makes this work? It's not just that we understand this, this, this mutual submission and deferring and honoring. It's also personalities that make this work and grace gifts that make this work. If there are any young people here, remember this. You can't help who you fall in love with, but you get to choose who you marry. And, and who you marry has got to be all those dynamics of how it works 
of how, how your grace gifts complement mine and how your personality type and mine, all of that comes into effect to make it work. It's not just, I love them, it's going to work. A lot of people love each other and it doesn't work. So let's get back to the power struggle thing. Um, Paul is not saying, wives, remember, you are slaves to your husbands because they are the head. Your role is to satisfy your husband's every need and wish. Cook, clean, wash up, change nappies. Change his nappy if he needs it. <laughs> Look after the kids, be a sexual goddess, and we'll just be perfect. <laughs> Paul is not saying that. Neither is Paul saying, hey guys, you're the king. You have all authority. You need to subdue your woman. You need to make her do what you need her to do so that she pleases you because you are more powerful than she is. Paul is not saying that either. In the same vein with parents and children, he's not saying, hey, parents, you can. You just show them who's boss. Don't let them talk to you. Children, you know, you've watched them. Look, look how they behave. Why should you listen to them? I mean, you've seen them swear, you've, you've seen them do this, you've seen them do that. Why should, and he's talking into these dynamics, master-slave, to say there's a new and a better way to live life with each other. So let's talk about this now. As I said, I can't unpack the theology of it, but there is an interesting scripture, which, by the way, 1 Corinthians 11.3, is written in the, around a particular topic of head coverings. So just look around in the room. How many of us have got a head covering on? I don't see anyone. If you've got one, good for you. Like, it doesn't bother me. Whatever you want to do, you do. You're free. But in this context, in Corinth, Paul writes because head coverings was an issue. And they were judging each other, and they were doing things wrong because there, was, there were religious constructs and things that were in place that determined how things worked. And so in the context of that, he writes this. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. That's a theol that, that, by the way, is um, a very interesting Scripture. Does that mean that I'm the boss of you, just like God's the boss of Jesus, and Jesus is the boss of the church? Well, if you read that verse in the light of head coverings, which I still don't quite understand, and I've read it many times, because I wasn't there. We don't live in first century Corinth. I don't know how the, the, the meetings were. But what I do know is the heart of Jesus and what Paul's trying to get at. So if we take that, now the guys say head can mean authority, but head can also mean first. Head can also mean source. So just like Adam was the source of Eve because in creation she was formed from, and God is the source of Jesus, Jesus Came, was begotten of God and, be, and incarnate became flesh. And the church is, 
Jesus is the source of the church. He was the one who birthed the church through his death and resurrection. There's all these different things going on. But what does it mean for you and me? Because you don't have to understand the, deep, the depths of theology, but what does it mean for you and me in our relationship every day? That's where it counts. That's where the rubber hits the road. So let me give to you for time's sake, in a nutshell quickly, what I believe can really help us understand this. And this helped me when I understood it. So I really hope it understands you. And I have shared it before, but do your best to grab this. There's too many power struggles going on in marriages. And often a power struggle, often the power struggle is because of an insecurity or you're feeling dominated by or you're feeling less than or weaker than or low self-esteem or lack of love for yourself. So you're trying to assert yourself to get better recognition and better value and better and all of those dynamics. There's more than that, but that's sometimes the place. So let's think about God and Jesus. And let's think about Jesus and the church and let's think about a husband and a wife. Does God, if he's the head of Jesus, if he's the boss of Jesus, if we go that route, which I don't believe he is, okay? But if we go that route, does God, when Jesus comes to earth, limit Jesus from doing what he wants? No, but Jesus submits to doing what he only sees his father doing. But God doesn't on one day go, hey, Jesus, by the way, I just want you to know, you did too many miracles, you're outshining me. You, you, you need to calm down a bit. Uh, people must remember, I'm God, you're just my son. He doesn't do that. He empowers Jesus to reveal who he is and be fully who he called Jesus to be. In the same way, the church. If, if Jesus is the head of the church, let's go the boss. If he's the boss of the church, does Jesus control us and limit us in any way? No. In fact, he liberates us to do all that he did and more because he's going to the Father. He empowers us with his very, the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He will also quicken your mortal body. He gives us the gifts of the Spirit. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. We participate in the divine nature. This headship thing is never about limitation. It's never about holding you back. It's about empowering you to be fully who you are. God and Jesus, Jesus and the church, husbands and wives. If the husband is the head where he's in authority and he's the boss, and he wants to be like Jesus and he wants to be like God, then he empowers, and he doesn't constrain, and he doesn't limit, and he doesn't hold back, but he liberates to be. There's no ceiling that God puts on Jesus. There's no ceiling Jesus puts on the church, and there's no ceiling that a boss, husband, should put on his wife, if that's the route you're going to go. But God is into more mutual submission. But yet, there is this thing called headship. There is a first. And Susan, she, I mean, she was head girl of both her schools. I wasn't even a prefect. I, I, I'm married to a head girl, yeah. She, she, she could tell me all day, every day what to do. But, but she doesn't because we understand this, the heart of God is not about control. It's not about a power struggle. 
It's about two are better than one when they're not struggling. So now, look at this verse, Galatians 3, 27 to 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Actually, the heart of God is this. When you come to Christ, there's no longer any hierarchy. There's no longer any one person more important than another. Husbands are not more important than the wife. Male are not more important than female. Jew are not more important than Gentile. Slave are not more important than free. Everyone in Christ is the same. Equal. No power struggles. Get rid of the power struggles. Now, we're going to end off by looking at a few examples. Because some people go, well, I don't know what a power struggle is. Let me give you a few hints. A power struggle refers to an evident, clear, or subtle competition in a relationship for control and influence. Who is ultimately more powerful, more important? And it's essentially rooted in pride. Humble people don't have to try and prove anything. But proud people are often insecure and have to try and prove their position or their worth or their power or their ability or their something. So in this fa the family dynamic, parents to children, bosses, I mean, I'm using the word bosses now legitimately, bosses with work staff, in marriages, in all of this, power struggles should not be for us who are new creation people. The first big power struggle alluded to in Scripture is when Satan contended with God in the heavens. For God, it wasn't a power struggle. But for Satan, it was. And how did that work out for him and us? Not so good. Think of the power struggles between Cain and Abel, Hagar and Sarah, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, Saul and David, and on and on and on the list goes. Jesus' disciples, power struggle. Hey, I want to sit at your right hand. Yeah. <laughs> it happens among siblings. It happens between husbands and wives. It happens in friendships, friendship circles. It happens in schools and universities. It happens at family gatherings. It happens in the workplace. It happens in business teams. And it happens in church leadership teams. It happens everywhere. It all depends on what's going on here. Whenever two or more come together, there is the potential for unity and power or disunity and power struggles. Power struggles seem to arise when one feels weaker, has lower self-confidence and esteem, feels they're undervalued, are being taken advantage of, and are just not being respected, just not being loved, just not being honored. Sadly, of course, narcissistic and antisocial personality types go hard into this, but Jesus can change anyone and anything. Yeah. That I know. So in your relationship, let's end off with these few things. Do you feel equal in your relationship? 
whether it be work colleagues, whether it be family, siblings, whether it be husband and wife, do you honestly feel equal? Or do you, do you feel they feel they're more important than you and they show it? Then you'll know you're in, you're in a power struggle. Do you feel equal in voice, in being heard, in your opinion being taken seriously? Do you feel equal in being appreciated? Do you feel equal in being respected? Do you feel equal in the bedroom? Do you feel equal in the household? Do you feel equal in parenting? Do you feel equal spiritually? Do you feel equal conversationally? Do you feel equal in getting to do the fun things you want to do? Or is it always their thing that gets done? You'll know you're in a power struggle if you don't feel equal. Because when there's a battle inside of you about not feeling equal, it will end up in a power struggle and there will be a horrible, bad-tasting fruit. The <laughs> oh gosh, I'm so far behind, yeah? An absence of love in a relationship can become an abscess of pain. An absence of love. You see, the, the, this thing will only work because of love. God and His people, it works because of love. The church and Jesus works because of love. Everything works because of the foundation of love. The moment that love is threatened and there's a power struggle, and you, love always takes place second fiddle when there's a power struggle. It's not at the core. You may not even realize it, but oftentimes, the petty fights you find yourself in are just an attempt for your voices to be heard, respected, your feelings to be validated, or your contributions to be recognized and appreciated. We often get stuck in the, in the content of who did what instead of communicating to each other our vulnerable desires to, be, to feel seen in a relationship. Evaluate your relationships to see if there are power struggles and then stop them. You're a powerful person to stop them. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. You find your, here are some more indications. You find yourself easily arguing about your subjective experiences being a fact. You and your partner make regular passive-aggressive comments, and then you say, oh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> That's your joker. Yes. No, I didn't really mean it. I'm just joking. But actually, yeah. there's a little angle there. Right. It's a power struggle. You and your partner feel entitled to having more decision-making privileges because you or, or them make more money. So the fact that you earn more money means you decide more on how you spend the money. That's power. It's not love. You and your, or your partner feel secretively defiant. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> you put each other down. It's, it's, it's terrible to be in the company of people who are supposed to love each other, and you can see they're actually just putting each other down. It's horrible. It's not the love of Christ. It's not new creation. You get into arguments the second you both have a differing opinion. You and your partner constantly bring up the past to justify 
their actions. You and your partner play games to make the other one jealous. Yo. Interesting, that one. You find yourself in competition with each other, but not in a cute way. <laughs> you and your partner often threaten leaving the relationship in arguments. That, I, I just want to say, that is, a, that, that is a, a real indicator. If in an argument you say, well, you know what, maybe we should just get divorced if, if you're married, or maybe, maybe I should just go and maybe I should move out for a while. That there is, is a huge warning bell of a massive power struggle that's going on. You and your partner withhold sex, intimacy, or affection to prove a point. As Susan so wonderfully shared last week, the goal of relationship is connection. You're always, we're always supposed to press forwards into connection, not punish each other with distance. So if you use anything to punish another person with distance, it's, it's power again. It's a, it's a power struggle. You and your partner, you and or your partner often feels in trouble. It's like, oh gosh, I'm in trouble again. I never, I always make mistakes. I, I don't do this right, I don't do that right, I don't do this, and they're making you feel like that. And look, if you are making mistakes all the time, stop making mistakes. <laughs> Just teasing. Not in a cute way. <laughs> you and your partner purposefully want to withhold offering support to help teach them a lesson. You see, friends, the dynamic of God with us, his people, is though he's the most powerful person, he says, You're worthy like you heard earlier. He says, I love you. He says, I won't hold that against you because love covers over a multitude of sin. The dynamic of God in relationship is that one never dominates another to suppress them so they cannot fully be themselves. And so there's liberty and there's empowerment and there's freedom to be you. Like God gives me such freedom to be me. He doesn't control. And so I want to say this. If there is any indication of a power struggle in your marriage, with the children, at work, don't just let it be. You're a powerful person to bring the change. How you bring the change requires skill, full conversation. And if you're needing help with a skillful conversation, there are people here who can help direct you. But you'll need to be the one to address the power struggle and to change it. And the way of God is always honor and love and grace. We don't control each other. Some churches, pastors control the people. Some businesses, bosses control you. Some marriages, there's control. Parents and children, there's control. No more for us who are in Christ. Let's stand.